The Bible scholar Thomas Long says that we can make one of two mistakes in reading this parable that Jesus tells. And he gives us the image of walking along the uh, peak of a steeply sloping roof and being tempted to fall either one side or the other. He says we can slip down one side, misunderstanding the story of Jesus as a story about a, a God who delights in terrifying sinners and dangling them over roaring, blazing flames of fire. But he says this story is not about scaring the life out of sinners. Actually, it's a story told to the faithful, to Jesus' closest followers, his disciples. He's not trying to persuade unbelievers to become believers. He's talking to those who already are people who understand the blessings of the kingdom of God. This is a story Jesus tells each one of us. And he uses his graphic language to somehow cause us to recognize that those things which oppose the gospel, those things that stand in opposition to all that the kingdom of God is about, will not endure. They are not going to be the things that will last through to eternity. Evil and wickedness surround us. We don't have to look far to imagine what Jesus is talking about here. On the one hand, we have unresolved problems regarding homelessness and poverty. We have lack of access to clear and pure drinking water. We have concerns about the lack of education for some segments of society. And then on the other hand, we have greed and gluttony. We have deceit. We have systematic racism. On this hot summer day, allow me one winter story. Perhaps you have sung the Christmas hymn, Christmas Bells, by Henry Wordsworth Longfellow. The lyrics begin in a rather hopeful tone. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But later on comes the echo of the reality that we live in, the concerns that we were just speaking about. In despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and it mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Longfellow then blends the reality of our times with the truth of God's holy word. And he says this, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. The servants in Jesus' story come to the master with this question, how long will these weeds be left to grow, and what are we to do with them? The Bible assures us that it's not the weeds, but it's the word of God. It's the gospel that will live on through eternity. We may see precious little evidence of that where we are right now. But Jesus says, trust me, trust me, because there is a space between now and then. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. He says a little later in Matthew chapter 24.
So the first mistake we can make is to see wickedness and evil as permanent. But there's a second mistake we can make as well. We can slip down the other side of that steeply sloping roof, and we can see ourselves as God's special insiders. We can actually relish the thought of those unlike us burning in the eternal flames of hell. The problem with that is that there's a mixture of good and evil, of righteousness and wickedness in every one of us. Like Peter, we may hear Jesus' words to us when he'll turn to us on those days when our faith shines forth and and we show our faith in our deeds. and, And Jesus says, you're my rock and upon you I will build my church. And a breath later, like he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus' parable, says Thomas Long, is actually good news for frail human beings. He says God is a careful, wise, and loving gardener. He says God cultivates and nurtures the world and at the very same time cares for us. I have a a plant growing in the front plot of my garden at home. Its stem just exceeds all expectation. It grows high and fast. And, And for two years, as people would talk to me about it, they'd say, cut it down. It's a weed. There's There's no plant that will grow that quickly that isn't a weed. And so for for two years, I did just that. I didn't pull it up by the roots, but I did cut it off. Well, this year, I've allowed it to grow. And at this point in time, it has become a beautifully flowering plant. I believe it must be a perennial that was planted some time back that I simply forgot about, but it allows bees to be attracted to it and pollinate it. It allows us to see the beauty of the the flowers that, uh, that it contains now. It is hard sorting out the weeds from the wheat. There seems to be so little space between the two, and the church has not always gotten it right. The church has often gotten it wrong. We have blessed war as holy. We have blessed violence as um, redemptive. We have protected the institution of the church and institutions like it and covered over abuses of all kinds through the centuries. We have guaranteed that those with power have retained it, even as we have denied power to those who have never had it. Be they women, or those of limited mobility, be they the aged or the young, be they those on the spectrum of autism or those living with Down syndrome or so many others, the overlooked throughout the ages. Jesus helps us to accept the fact that all of us have the mixture of good and evil, of weeds and flowering fruit, It's found everywhere, without exception. The biblical scholar Caroline Lewis says that the reason Jesus tells this parable is not for the sake of action, but for the sake of honesty. For the sake of honesty. 
Think of Paul's personal confession in Romans chapter 7 when he says this, I want to do what is good, but I don't. And then he says, I don't want to do what is wrong, and yet I do. We can relate because that's the story of all of us. Weeds and wheat growing together. Even with our best intentions, we're no different. Pride is really our greatest enemy. It's the enemy of God. I found this posted on Facebook one day. When they discover the center of the universe, a lot of people will be disappointed they are not it. When all is said and done, it will be the goodness of God that endures. It will be the word of God that endures. It will be the love of God that endures. It will be the wheat, not the weeds, that will endure. It will not be that way with evil. The slaves in this parable wonder out loud, do you want us to pull the weeds up? And the reply from the farmer is this, no, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. Jesus knows that, that weeds entangle themselves around the roots of other plants. There will always be, however, a space in between, in between our mindset and the miracles that God can make possible. God says, leave this to me because I alone know the difference. I know what needs to be done, not you. I can see what you cannot at this time because the weeds will not ultimately choke the life out of the other plants. The wheat is stronger than we think, and we are stronger than we think, thanks to God. God knows this, whether or not we see it at the time, whether or not we feel it in our lives. We may look at the future with confusion, but God always looks at the future with confidence. The wrong will fail, and the right prevail. None of this means that the church ought to take a back seat to recognizing evil in the world and doing something about it. We ought not to be simply complacent. There is that space between what we see and what can still happen in God's time with our help. There is always an opening for love and faithful obedience and redemption in people whose, whose lives we seem entangled in the weeds. And we need to be careful ourselves that we are not pulled down through lack of honesty about the wickedness or evil in our own lives or the pride that threatens to undo our own growth. Jesus is telling us to wait, to wait without the labeling, to wait without the violence of uprooting the lives of those with whom God is already actively at work in. There is that space in between, and God has not given up on any of us. God has not given up on hope, and it is a hope that you and I must honor as well. The kingdom of heaven does not depend on a pure, unstained, unblemished church. 
It depends on us daily drawing our strength and life from the power and blessings of God. Here's the promise of the parable. Whatever it is that's in the world or even in ourselves that tries to choke out the life that God blesses us with or tries to break down the relationship that God through Jesus Christ is working to have with us all will either be burned up in the judgment of God or be redeemed by the mercy of God. Don't worry about sorting out the good and bad in this world this time in your own way. Don't spend your time sorting out the weeds quite yet. Just keep yourself rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. Here's something that Paul says to the church in Ephesus, chapter 3. It comes in the form of a, a blessing prayer. Here are his words. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. That's my prayer and hope for every one of us in this age, in your life, in our time, that our hope will be in the eternal love of Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God.
Would you bow with me in prayer? Teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Give us undivided hearts that we might praise you and honor you with our lives. For great is your steadfast love toward us. You have delivered us from the depths of despair at times. You've rescued us on other days when we have been tempted to act on motives entangled by deceit or pride. O Lord, you are a God of mercy and grace. You're slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. How we pray that these characteristics will take hold in our lives, that they may displace our need to always be right, or our desire for more, or our longing for approval, or our want of acceptance. Be gracious to us, O God. Give your strength to your servants. Save your children. And help us to grow in ways only you can make possible. Water us with the refreshment of your Holy Spirit. Nourish us with your living word. Season us with hope and cultivate us with your grace and mercy, even now as we confess that we have a long way to go and a long way to grow before we are found faultless or stand before you, not cowering in fear at your presence, but confident through faith in Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray and live. Amen. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face radiate with joy because of you. May God lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace today and always. Amen. Silver lining in this heart of
Oh, so 